Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together, God, to, to sing as we worship God, to, to recite uh, words of the Baptist faith and message that we believe together. God, to listen and read scripture together. And God, also to be challenged by your word. God, I ask this morning that your spirit would guide us, that your spirit would speak, and God, that we would listen, be changed because of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning, amen. Well, good morning. Hopefully you're awake with us this morning, with us, with me. <laughs> I think I'm awake. It's good uh, to have the opportunity this morning uh, to be able to preach as we continue in our study in Romans. I, I see it as a great privilege every time that Matt allows me to come up and, and preach on Sunday mornings to an added audience. You know, I'm used to speaking to, to the ones that are right here front and center uh, but but be able, to be able to speak to you as an entire congregation uh, is, is very awesome for me to be able to do. Speaking of this group uh, that's, that's down front, I want you to pray for us as, as we get ready. We're getting ready to dive into the, to the gospel of Matthew. And so I had to kind of map things out to get ready to make sure that we could do that together. And we're going to have 42 different lessons that we're going to go through as we start the fall and get into the winter and get into the spring as well as we read through the entire gospel together. So please pray for us as we get ready uh, to dive into what is God's message of fulfillment in the gospel of Matthew, and we do that. You know, this morning, hopefully you saw it was a special morning. Uh, many of you met in new Sunday school classes all around uh, the education building in different parts of the church. Uh, you can see all of the hard work that's been put in over the last couple weeks to get ready just for today, uh, to be able to, to meet in those rooms, to be able to have Bible study together in a different spot. Hopefully you've, you've made some time also to, to go see the renovations and the hard work that have been done in the parlor. And the neat thing about all of that that's been done even in the upper room in the past few months as well, is that the work has been done by you. It's been done by the church. Uh, many of you have poured hours and hours and hours uh, getting, getting ready for this, getting ready for today that we can meet together. And so we thank you for that. Wednesday night is also an exciting time as we get ready to start back our Wednesday night activities. Everything is kicking back off. Uh, our kids club um, is, is the biggest thing that we do on Wednesday nights as we invite kids from all, all over our community to come in. We have our children's choir time along with our family meal, every, everyone together at 5 o'clock. 
and then Bible study times for the entire family, uh, from children all the way through adults on Wednesday evenings, and then capped off with our choir meeting at seven. So a lot of things happening and a lot going on. Uh, you know, I had somebody ask me, like, are you ready for school to start? It seems like you guys do a lot during the summer and you're doing stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of look at my week this week. Of course, I'm preaching today. We start small groups tonight. I'm speaking at FCA for junior high on Tuesday evening. I'll speak to the football team on Wednesday. You know, when, when school starts, it doesn't get less busy. Uh, we've got a lot going on. And so it's exciting to be a part of everything that God is doing here. And I'm excited this morning to bring you today's message out of Romans chapter 8. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at the first 17 verses this morning. It's page 887 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. It's what the, the translation that I use with our students. I also have the notes that are put in the Version app, and you can follow along and read along with the New Living Translation version there as well, and on the screen. So as you turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning, we get to study what many scholars call one of the greatest chapters in not just Romans, but in the entire Bible. This is what New Testament scholar Robert Mounts said about Romans chapter 8. He says, with chapter 8, we arrive at what may be called the inspirational highlight of the book of Romans. Here the apostle is swept along in a wave of spiritual exaltation that begins with God's provision of the spirit for victory over the old nature, breaks through the sufferings that make our present existence, and crests with the doxology of praise to the unfathomable love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. Nowhere in, nowhere in the annals of sacred literature do we find anything to match the power and beauty of this remarkable pen of praise. We're not dealing here with mere theology. As Paul wrote, his pen gave evidence that he was caught up in an experience of profound worship and spiritual adoration. Okay. That is, that is where we are headed today. Now, now granted, we're only going to look at the first 17 verses. Matt Price is going to take us through, over the next two weeks, going to take us through the remainder of the chapter. But this should really get our attention this morning, okay? What we are looking at is a pinnacle to Paul's, or what could be called a pinnacle to Paul's message to the Romans, as he writes about this spirit-filled life. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, and let's read the first 17 verses together. Starting in verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things 
But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you even though your body will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For, you will live, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For those... For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you by his own, as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. So as we break down this passage together this morning, I see four benefits from this new life in the spirit that we're going to talk about. The first comes in the first four verses, and it's freedom from condemnation. You know, Paul keys us in and turns the reader's attention uh, back to an earlier passage uh, from the beginning of this passage. And in the NLT, it says, so now. In the ESV translation that many of you are using this morning, it uses the word therefore, which draws our attention back to something that we have read previously. It's the Greek word ara. And translated, it is those two words, therefore and so now. Paul is reminding the reader of something he's just said in the previous chapter in verse 6. So look back, turn back with me just a page or so, or look across the page to chapter 7, the first part of verse 6. He says, but now we have been released from the law. For, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. In light of the law revealing our sin, in light of our release from the law, the li and also in light of the reminder that Paul has, has given about the continuing sinfulness, he says what? Story over. Let's go home. That's all we need to know. Is that what he says? He doesn't say that here. Verse 1 in chapter 8 says, So now, 
There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because of our relationship, because of your relationship, Christian, with Jesus, the guilty verdict of your sin has been erased. And so we look at just the, the previous verses right before that, right before verse one, the last couple of verses in Romans chapter seven, starting with verse uh, 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. That should make us excited this morning. You know, I sat through six hours of a volleyball duel on Tuesday night, and, and by the end, there was no students there. There were no other people that really cared about sports or volleyball or anything else. It was just parents, and they were still excited to see their kids do what they were doing out there. So as we read these things this morning, we should get a little bit excited, maybe say amen. So let's, let's try that again. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is. All right. Romans 8, 2, as we continue in the passage, says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Back to Romans chapter seven, verse six again. But now we have been released from the law for, for we died, died to it and are no longer captive by its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. Holy Spirit was only mentioned a couple times up to this point in Romans. But as we, we will see as we go through a lot of what we're going to talk about today, is, and as Matt goes over the next couple weeks in this chapter, the Spirit is mentioned nearly 20 times just in this chapter alone. And so Paul is changing the focus off of what he had talked about into living a life that is guided by the Spirit. And your version might say, the law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. Again, this is Paul reminding the reader of what he's just said. The power of the Holy Spirit within us has freed us from the power, uh, previous power of our flesh, the previous power that was over us. And that could only bring sin and death, the power of our flesh. And so continuing on that thought, he continues uh, in verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies uh, that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that we so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow the sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 
Paul also says to the Corinthians, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The law had no power in and of itself. It couldn't overcome the power of sin and death. It merely revealed them to us and it set the guideposts for us and the boundaries for us and showed us what sin looked like. But Jesus did what we could not do. He fulfilled the law by living a completely sinless life. R.C. Sproul puts it like this. Paul seems to mean that the crucifixion of the incarnate Son of God, uh, sin was judged and condemned so that now all of its charges against us have become invalid. And sin's tyrannical dominion over believers has been shattered so that they can begin to fulfill the law's righteous requirement. There is no condemnation remaining for those who are in Christ, nor is there a life of ongoing enslavement to sin. And praise God for us that the old life of sin and death are gone as believers in Jesus Christ. And that for us, the new life has begun in the spirit. So let's continue to read it's in verse five. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. The next benefit that we see from this passage of having a new life in the spirit is that we have a change of focus. Paul presents two mindsets that a person can have. The first one is dominated by their sinful nature. And that only leads to death and destruction. The second one is that one, one who is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that only leads to life, can only lead to life. And so we even see the, the different ways that these are talked about. One that's dominated by sin, one that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this is a description, obviously, of two completely different sets of people. First, the unbeliever, one whose affections, one whose mental, process, mental processes and decisions, they are all bent toward sin. The unbeliever craves to satisfy their appetites in the flesh, and that's the only way that they can be satisfied is through their sin, or what they think that they can be satisfied is through their sin. Philippians chapter three, verse 19 says, they are headed for destruction, their God is their appetite, they brag about the shameful things and they 
and they only think about this life here on earth. And so that's in contrast of the other life that Paul talks about, the life in the spirit. And so what does the life in the spirit bring? Well, it's for the believer. And for the believer whose affections, whose mental processes, and whose decisions are guided by a lifestyle change. And that lifestyle change is hand in hand with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The believer cannot help but do the things that satisfy and bring glory to God. And so as a, as a life that's guided by sin, where it's bent toward emotion and feeling and decisions and an appetite to please our flesh to the believer whose life can only do the things that satisfy and please God in the, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Verses seven and eight again. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul takes a deeper step here in saying that the unbeliever that follows the sinful nature is always, always, always hostile toward God. In all of their actions, this is important for us to, to grasp and understand here, but in all of their actions, even their, gratif their, their gratification, it's in sinfulness. It's for sinful, selfish approval. And what might seem as outwardly good deeds and things that are done in the right spirit or with a good heart, those things are still done in a sinful and selfish way apart from Christ. Those are not in true fulfillment of what God's law, God's law is because they're born from a rebel heart. They're born with a sinful and selfish desire to please worldly pleasures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul again says to the Corinthians, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive the truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Things of the spirit can only be grasped by those who are believers and being guided by the spirit. There's a noticeable difference that we can see in our society from those that chase the sinful nature to those that chase and follow the Holy Spirit. Our fast pace, 24-7, instant access, hands-on, one-click, one-stop shop, DoorDash, <laughs> are just the tip of the iceberg. We live in a culture that's never satisfied never completely pleased, and never, never, ever at peace. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God shifts our focus. 
This brings us to the next part of Paul's message continued to the believers here in Rome. Let's read verses 9 through 11. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember those that do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies in this same Spirit living within you. The third benefit that we see in this passage from having a new life in the Spirit is that we have a change of control. A change of control. And we are creatures of control, aren't we? Especially having or taking control over certain aspects of our own life that directly affect us. We've been indoctrinated that we know what's best for ourselves and nobody else knows what's best for me. It's easy, I think, for us to see this as kids, right? I remember thinking my parents have no idea, no clue what's best for me. And now I can humbly look back and somewhat step into their shoes for a moment and I can see how very little that I knew. And that not only was their guidance helpful, I needed their guidance. I couldn't make it without my parents' guidance. And I definitely, at times, for sure, needed their control. And Paul reminds the believer, and this is important again for us to see that he is talking to the believer. Paul reminds the believer who is in control in verse 9. So we might say, as we look at that, well, what evidence is there of that? If God is in control, if the spirit is in control, or if the sinful nature is in control, what evidence of that? How do we know? How do we see that? Well, it's by the fruit. It's by the fruit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and Paul's message to the people in Galatia. Starting in verse 19 in chapter 5, he says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
He goes on to say that those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The evidence of what controls you is shown by what fruit you produce in your life. Corey Tinbloom used a, an, an analogy of a glove and how if you have a glove that's sitting on top of your hand, the glove is lifeless, the glove is useless, it sits there, but it's not until the hand is put inside the glove that the glove comes to life and the glove becomes useless, or useful, sorry. And so we look at that and understand to a certain extent we are the gloves and it is the Holy Spirit that does the work that's within each one of us that brings us to life. Just as the glove is useless sitting in our hands without our hand inside of it, so we are also useless without Christ and without the Holy Spirit inside of us, using us. Back to verse 10, reading it again, it says, And Christ lives within you. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. And it's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, by the work of Christ, God has turned us from what was once dead and has made it meaningful. He's made us fruitful, and he has also made us alive. But back in Galatians chapter 2, the last couple of verses in verse 2, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, there is no need for Christ to die. The amazing good news of the gospel. It's not just a relinquishing of the controls of our life, a handing over of the reins, or as our culture puts it in so many different ways. It is the desire to have the Holy Spirit in control. It's not just I can't. It is an I need you, and I need you alone. So let's continue reading. Verse 12, chapter 8. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. 
For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received, a, received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So it would not be a bad ending, you know, in our new life with the spirit, if we were free from condemnation, if we were changed in our focus, if we were changed in our control, that would not be a bad ending right there. But these last few verses remind us of another benefit, that we are also heirs with Christ. So when we begin our new life in Christ and we allow the Holy Spirit to change our focus and allow him to control our thoughts and our actions, does that mean that we will no longer be tempted by sin? You know, that would be nice, right? But it seems that when Satan turns up the pressure on us, and he does that for us as Christians, and sends his temptations our way, the stronger that our faith becomes. Because really, there's no need to tempt the sinner. The sinner can sin on their own. But now you, Christian, are not defenseless against the fiery darts of Satan. You're under the protection of the Almighty God and the Holy Spirit. Unlike before when sin left you unprotected, the great power within you is at work now in every essence of who you are. Back to verses 12 and 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its, by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you will live. Reality for us is that we are not perfect. We don't make the right decision every time. We're going to mess up. But we are also not idle robots for God when we follow Christ. So as verse 13 hints at, it is a process to put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. And the only way that we can do that is through the guidance of the Holy Spirit because that's how we live, moment by moment, with the Spirit. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Holy Spirit of God are children of God. What we see in verse 14 and following is the beginning of a beautiful picture of assurance and security. Much of what we said this morning together from the Baptist faith and message the security of being adopted, the assurance of being chosen into God's family. 
Not that we could ever find or would ever even chase him on our own, but that he has chosen us, that he has adopted us into his family as his children. Verses 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are able, or if, but, but if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So what does a spirit of fearfulness produce? Past from being anxious, past being scared, we see fear mask itself in a multitude of ways uh, in the worldly sin that's around us. It's covered in our society by becoming materialistic. It's covered in substance abuse. It's covered in the abuse of relationships. It's covered in certain mental states. It's all the different ways that our culture tries to mask sin and make it normal and make it just a part of life. But in verse 15, Paul says, instead, Paul says, believer, he has chosen you as his own. You can come to God affectionately and call him father. As a judge legally puts his stamp of approval in a court of law in an adoption, so God also puts his stamp on his children to affirm, as verse 16 says, that we are his. Verse 17 again. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And being a co-heir with Christ, what does that mean for us? The first thing that it means is that we share in his glory, our eternal salvation, and being one with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that we have talked about this morning. But Paul says that it also means that we share in his suffering. Our Savior was mocked. Our Savior was ridiculed. Our Savior was even physically harmed. But the message this morning for us Christians is that we are not alone. We are co-heirs together as we gather here this morning. <laughs> but more importantly, we are co-heirs with, together with Christ. There's obviously much benefit that we have from a spirit-filled life. When we're free from the destruction of sin 
and we begin to unpack the greatness of God, that's when we become truly free. Nothing else should seem to matter for us as believers and followers of Christ. Not where we live, not the status of our jobs, not who or how many friends that we have or can accumulate, and not even life or death. Without the weight of sin, we experience the indescribable freedom of the life that the Holy Spirit offers for each one of us, a peace that only is experienced by those who are in Christ, a peace that our world hungers for, a peace that only God offers. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit that it does in our lives as believers. We seem to think at times that we know all the answers. We, think, we seem to think at times that we know what's best for ourselves. But God, it's so evident as we go throughout each day as we live our lives that we don't. We don't have all the answers. We don't know what's best for ourselves. We struggle to find our own path. So God, we're thankful for the Spirit and the leading and the guidance of your Spirit. So God, this morning, we ask that our eyes would be opened. God, that if we need to maybe kind of change and deal with things, God, that we would do that, that your Spirit would lead and guide us. We're thankful to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the only sacrifice that would be acceptable to you. We're thankful for those things, and it's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.